the RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. Now, you're very welcome along to this week's RTE Rugby Podcast. And what a week it has been, Ireland beating New Zealand for the third time ever and the third time in five years, and probably in the most emphatic style they have as well. 29-20 winners against New Zealand last Saturday afternoon at the Aviva Stadium. Neil Tracy here with you on the RT Rugby Podcast this week and joined, as always, by Donald Lennon and Bernard Jackman. And fellas, I suppose the, the best way of starting this off is how many times have you watched the match back since Saturday? <laughs> well, I tell you, I was uh, Bernard and I were on against the head on Monday, so I was staying up in Dublin. Uh, so I got a chance on Sunday. And it's funny, you know, when you're involved in the commentary, obviously you're very much... You're in the heart of the game and you're watching everything that's going on. You're keeping an eye on the screen. You're trying to take a few notes. You're watching what's going on in the wider picture. Um, so, you know, it was great to actually sit back, take it all in. But um, look, I mean, from the minute, certainly from the minute I arrived in the Aviva, you got that special sense of a special sense of occasion. Uh, just walking past Paddy Cullen's down Balls Bridge, uh, you know, going in and around the stadium. There was a lot of people around early. Um, you know, they wanted to be in the stadium. They wanted to watch the All Blacks during the warm-up. I think the hacker also helps to engage people early on. And uh, as a consequence of that, people are in their seats. I mean, it's it's a bugbear of mine over the years. An Ireland team comes out of the dressing room to a kind of a, a half-empty stadium while everybody's in the premium level having their points and rushing out at the last minute. So uh, I think you just knew from the minute the teams came out that... Uh, you know, there was a, a kind of a special buzz about this game. Uh, it wasn't as if New Zealand, they knew exactly what was coming. Um, they knew this was going to be their most severe test on their tour so far. Uh, and on that front, it'll something we could talk about. It'll be interesting to watch them next Saturday and how they respond against France. But in terms of a package on the day, you couldn't have got better. I mean, I've spoken to a lot of people since, guys who brought their kids to the match and, you know, how thrilled they were. And there was a lot of kind of talk about, you know, the tickets were expensive and traveling for the day. People lash out an awful lot of money. But when you get an atmosphere like that, when you get a performance like that from the team, it just makes it all worthwhile. And, uh, you know, so many people went away happy, can't wait to see Ireland again next weekend. And uh, obviously that carries you through to the Six Nations Championship. So it was a great day for Irish rugby, really. Yeah, Bernard, just as good for you on the second, third or, or fourth viewing. I'm not sure how many times you watched it back now at this stage. Yeah, I'm going to have to stop looking back because every time I look back, <laughs> I, I see something else that's that's interesting. Um, and in fairness, some really good stuff from the All Blacks as well. Um, their their scramble defence was was incredible. The amount of turnovers they they got you know, close to their own line. And obviously yeah. their their ability to score from from nothing. You know, the, the, the Cody Taylor try... I mean, you know, that wasn't supposed. They weren't. The plan wasn't to hit that narrow. Um, they were going to hit hitting the ten channel. But when when they broke out and saw that we'd made a defensive error, they just went straight for it. And, and once they get in behind you, they're so good at uh, at, at capitalizing on those half line breaks uh, and converting them. So yeah, there was a bit from both teams, but it was brilliant. It was a really pleasing uh, performance from Ireland, and and it built on obviously the Japan game. Um, you know, which was which was really positive as well, and and you know the players will tell you what they've won seven now. Um, that we're the idiots for not seeing it coming, but genuinely until Japan, I only saw little bits. Uh, um, that 
kind of made you think, right, is this team on the right track? But certainly, I would say for me personally, the last two games have have been very impressive and I'm really confident, hopeful that we're, we are on the right track. Yeah, and is it the, the intent and the way about it that is just as pleasing as the fact that they actually beat New Zealand as well? Because if, like, if we were to look back at the, the two other games, like with the benefit of hindsight, obviously 2016, you know, there is an element that they kind of caught New Zealand on the hop on the day. 2018, it was about really just grinding New Zealand down into submission. And even though they were completely the better team on the day, this was a this was a much different performance. This was playing them off the pitch as opposed to beating them down in an arm wrestle. I think so, yeah. I mean, look, uh, I, I was lucky enough to be at all three games. Uh, the Chicago one uh, was just, again, it's like one of those dream weekends. It was supposed to be freezing in Chicago mm. that weekend. Uh, I remember coming back from holidays uh, at the end of August, uh, flying through Florida and, and meeting people in the airport. They were saying, are you coming back for the, the Ireland game? Irish people that I knew. And they said, make sure you wrap up. We arrived in Chicago. Um, they'd won the, the baseball for the first time in, in, in donkey's years. Uh, it was just a buzz about that. The, the weather was fantastic. Uh, but I do think, look, there was an element of uh, surprise in that game. And I, I keep going back. I think Jerome Kaino played in the second row for New Zealand that day. Um, I, I think New Zealand were on a bit of a jolly. Ireland played brilliantly on the day. Um, and, you know, you saw the reaction when New Zealand played them in Dublin two weeks later. Uh, that was a brutal game. Uh, I think Malachi Fekitoa and Sam Kane could both have been sent off in that match. Uh, but that was New Zealand angry. Um, you know, I, I think Ireland caught them on the hop that day. But to be fair, since then, 2018, they knew Ireland were in a very good space. I mean, when they arrived in Dublin in 2018, Ireland were the Grand Slam champions. They had beaten Australia in a test series in, in Australia that summer. So there was no element of surprise in terms of how good that 2018 Ireland team was. And on the, the bottom line is they were good enough to beat New Zealand on the day. But in terms of the overall quality of the package, uh, the, the the nature of the victory, there's no doubt that last Saturday was the best by far. Um, like Birch mentioned, that Cody Taylor try, I mean, what a gut-wrencher that was, given all the pressure that Ireland had on. The, the Ty Furlong try was sort of was disallowed in kind of, I won't say dubious circumstances, but in a manner that could have been avoided, uh, like Ronan Kelleher could have recycled. He didn't actually need to take that extra little bit of go forward. Um, so to have that wiped off, go back down the field, concede a try from a defensive error really out of nothing, um, that would have kind of killed a lot of other Irish teams. But look, they just kind of left it behind them, came out. Uh, at the performance, I think, the, the third quarter, when they ended up, like they won the third quarter 15-0. They won the second half, I think, 24-10. Um, like that's phenomenal. Uh, uh, but... Uh, I think the key learning from this is, uh, and by virtue of the fact that Ireland had actually put the World Cup in two years' time into the public domain at the start of this November series, I think has actually served them better now, given what has happened. If they said that after the New Zealand game, you'd say, oh, look, they're just trying to uh, you know, uh, uh, not make the same mistakes as, as 2018. But the fact that they've publicly spoken about the journey towards 2023 starting when they came together in August um, and the fact that they were building up. There's been incremental gains, as Bernard said. I think you go back to the England game last year when we beat England uh, in Dublin. We saw 
glimpses. We saw signs, but I think we were a bit wary because we've seen evidence in the past of, of you know, that sort of continuity offloading game happening in fits and starts, but not sticking, if you like. Uh, they lost a bit of momentum during the summer, obviously, when you eight or nine fellas away on the Lions tour. Uh, so to hit the ground running in the manner they did, and also when you consider a lot of those international players had played little or no rugby because of the Lions tour, they'd only kind of small cameos with their provinces. So to produce the consistent performances that they've done now two weekends in a row, uh, I think makes that performance uh, way more special than the other two wins. Mm, and Bernard, one thing Donald mentioned there, uh, in like 2016, coming off the back of the Chicago win when New Zealand came to Dublin and you know they were absolutely bullying for revenge. It just kind of made me think, we've got a three-match test series against New Zealand down in New Zealand next summer. And like the thought of that already is just seriously exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's going to be a real test for Ireland and to be able to deal with that intensity um, of, of those three weeks. And, and you know, I think first we'll, we'll get an idea of, of where the All Blacks are at this Saturday in, in, in France. I know they're tired. Um, I know they want to get home. Um, but it's so rare for them to get caught with their pants down twice in a row. So I suppose it'll be a test. There's rumours around, you know, uncertainty around Foster as the as the replacement to Hansen. Um, and I know he's won a rugby championship, but certainly in New Zealand, they're not sure he's the right man. So he needs he needs a reaction this Saturday. And, and, and then obviously we'll get one, test one. We'll get one test one in June when we're tired and coming off the, the back of a, of, a, of a long season. But I, I don't know. I think that's, that's what this team needs. They need to be playing against teams like New Zealand regularly um, and to get three tests against them. I, I don't know how long it is since we've done with no more than me. Have we ever had three tests in a tour or, or how long it is that we've had three tests against them? But I just think it's a phenomenal opportunity to fine-tune your your game. I mean, if you're the All Blacks reviewing Saturday, you know, and you're, you're the defence coach, for example, you, you know, you, you're absolutely livid with your, with your predictability on your starter plays, how Ireland were able to get to that edge so easily I mean uh, think back to the Connacht intercept try against Ulster where Mac Hansen comes in and makes a, a read and gets an intercept I mean I'm not saying you have to be that kamikaze but it was just exactly as Ireland scouted so Ireland knew if they ran three decoys in the midfield they would get to that edge and get a gain line um, so again uh, you know the All Blacks they very rarely need to um, to be exposed over and over again to, to fix something so our ball game for all we'll have to be predicting the changes they're going to make and adjusting our game to to try and highlight you know where that where those changes create weaknesses so it's going to be fascinating yeah it really is um on the game itself the like just leading up to to james lowe's try i just thought it was an incredible moment uh where you had ireland get the penalty for cody taylor's yellow card after the the late and the high high tackle on johnny zexton and there was because of the yellow card, there was this bit of a delay where we're waiting to see what happens. And obviously it was a, it was a relatively straightforward kick at goal that Sexton would have had. But he obviously decides to go down to touch. And I was listening back to back to it on the match and Donal and yourself and Hugh, you could you could sense the excitement and the surprise in your voice of, oh, oh, he's going for he's going for touch here. He's not taking this on. And I remember being in the ground and hearing the noise around the stadium of like you could almost feel everyone just moving up towards the edge of their seats because they realised, okay, Ireland are actually properly going for this year. Palpable kind of groans around the ground when he went to the corner, but like 
Going into the game, the one thing that I was absolutely certain of, New Zealand had averaged 35 points against Tier 1 opposition throughout this calendar year. Uh, so if you're going to beat them, you have to score tries. Penalties aren't going to be enough. Uh, and obviously, by virtue of the fact that they were down a man, particularly a forward, that would have even copper-fastened the decision to go to the corner. Uh, but you got to back that then. Um, and the most interesting thing for me for that try was, uh, you know, Ireland, they had that close in drive. They were held up two or three times. Now, I do accept that they were playing on a penalty advantage, but maybe in times past, We'd have seen them keep going the same way, just looking to keep it, one-out passes, trying to barge their way over the line. But uh, in the knowledge that they had the penalty advantage, um, they kind of switched into moving the ball far quicker than they would have had, say, maybe a year ago. But then to actually execute in the manner they did, it required two absolutely brilliant passes by by Bundy Aki and Hugo Keenan. Uh, And even then, Lone, just about squeezed in in the corner. I mean, he did brilliantly to close it. So the whole uh, the decision making in that area, number one, to go to the corner. Secondly, having had the two or three darts at the line to, to actually go wide. And then the precision in terms of the passing for Mackey and, and Hugo Keenan uh, to put Lowe in, in the corner, I thought was outstanding. And again, Hugo Keenan, I think uh, last Saturday was his 15th consecutive game at fullback. Uh, the vast majority of those have been in empty stadia uh, in the Six Nations and in Dublin. Very difficult. You're, you're dreaming of playing for Ireland all, you know, all the way up through school. Uh, having no family or, or, or friends being able to see you uh, must have been a huge gut-wrencher for those guys during that phase. But uh, Keenan has just got better and better every game. Uh, you go back to the Japanese game. I think it was the Andre Conway try in the other corner. He had a similar pass off his left hand uh, as a sort of a 25, 30 metre floater pass. So they're the type of things that um, we weren't doing only about a year, a year and a half ago. Um, but the decision making throughout that whole process uh, to go to the corner, uh, then to move it wide, as I say, to execute under pressure, I thought that try for me was, was just outstanding. Bernard? Yeah, I, I agree. I think we had eight minutes in there, 22. Um, and some of our play to get us there um, was phenomenal. Uh, I think, you know, Sexton was very aware that we needed to capitalise on on, the, on that in terms of more than three points because, you know, when you can when you take three, you, you're catching a kickoff deep in your 22. Um, and more than likely, you're going to, you know, you're not going to kick it off. So you're going to kick contestables. And if you don't win that ball back in the air, they're coming back at you. So um, it's so important to capitalise. And that's the, that's the big area of, of I suppose, learning that they're going to have from, from this game. If they're going to analyse it forensically, they'll say, you know, sure, we're better at getting, you know, when we get five yards out. Because that's what Ireland, I mean, if you ask the Welsh or the Scots or the Italians or the South Africans now, um, when they think of Irish rugby, what do they think about? They, they talk about that efficiency of Irish teams five metres out. So um, that's something that we're normally good at. Didn't transfer to to the game on Saturday. Now, credit to the All Blacks. You know, not many teams can defend um, with that level of intensity, that that close without giving away a penalty or or, or giving away a, a try. But I think there's still obviously areas of, of improvement in that. But as Don said, Keenan just typifies the, the improved skill set. At first, he, he would have came into the team not as uh, not being known for his passing game. It was more um, his work rate in the backfield, his bravery under the high ball, um, 
his bravery in defence, but he he's become a much better footballer, which is um, uh, which is what you want from your players. So, uh, and at first, I think we have to give Leinster credit as well um, for for getting those players, so many of those players, um, improving them and, and have like James Lowe, for example. Okay, you know, Andy Farrell said to me, "You need to get fitter," but that happened out of camp, you know what I mean? And he's come in and confident. He's come in, um, having worked on the areas in terms of being, being in the game more and having more moments. So there's lots to, you know, everybody in, in, in professional level of Irish rugby um, has to enjoy this because we don't get days like that as often as we would like. Yeah. And yeah. on Keen- and you, Sorry there, ahead, just taking him up there that like, uh, Birch is talking about moments there, key moments. And that's the one thing that struck me about Keenan from the very first time that he was capped. Uh, you know, he, he in the earlier games, he obviously may not have got as many touches as he got last weekend. But invariably, he makes the right decision at the right time all the time. If he five or six involvements in the game, he nearly always did the right thing. And I think uh, he has grown in the position as he's gone on. Um, as I say, his, like you look at the basics, absolutely solid under the high ball. I don't think we've ever seen him drop a ball in his 15 tests to date. Uh, his kicking game is very solid. Um, you see him. There are times when he thinks it's on to counter-attack. Uh, you know, he'll always attack the first man. And then just his base, because he's not a very big guy. I mean, look at him in comparison to, say, Jordy Barrett at, at six foot five at fullback for uh, New Zealand. But he's very good in the contact area. Um, so all the basics of his game are extremely good. And you can see he's he's almost living the dream. Like there's times when he does something and he runs back into position and the smile on his face just tells you, Jesus, isn't this a great place to be? And it's fantastic to see it because I think that type of confidence um, coming through from the younger brigade, you see the same with Caleb Doris, you see it with Ronan Kelleher. Um, these young fellas, they're, they're not phased by anything. Now, I'm sure it helps when you're part of a Leinster setup who are winning... 95% of their games, that has to um, build confidence. But, um, look, I, I think Birch is right. I mean, uh, I'd be a big fan of Stuart Lancaster. Obviously, the work that's been done uh, within that Leinster setup has contributed massively. Uh, you're getting the finished product when they arrive in an, Ireland, uh, in an Ireland camp. So that does make it easier for the coaches because there's been times in the past where the skill levels for the way Ireland wanted to play just weren't up to where they should be for international players. So then you have to take a step back. Whereas this particular group of players, and, and bear in mind, there's another cohort that's kind of hanging in underneath them, the likes of uh, Gavin Coombs, uh, Ryan Baird, uh, Craig Casey, uh, Rob Balakoon. These guys, uh, I think they also have that skill level. Uh, they haven't been exposed to international rugby as much as others, but uh, I'm sure they will be over the course of the next six months. Yeah, while we're talking about individuals, we might actually just run through some of the some of those star performances and someone you mentioned there, Ronan Kelleher and Birch, I suppose, is a former hooker. Like what what he has brought, particularly over the last six months or so, I think just his sheer physicality and his power with the his power carrying the ball. Like I know he probably got a little bit greedy in the lead up to Tyke Furlong's disallowed try. But if you're to look at the try he scored on his own, like he stopped about probably a yard and a half or two yards short of that try line. And I know Ian Henderson gives him a nice little dunt to, to get him over the line as well. But it's that power that even if he is met at a certain point, he's able to get those extra few inches or extra half a yard. 
Yeah, and that's something probably we haven't talked about and um, something that when I watched the game again, I, I noticed uh, is the metres after contact that we can we can make now. And Kelleher, you know, is one of those. Um, but we now have numerous players. So Porter, Furlong, um, Conan through footwork, Doris through, through a bit of footwork, but a lot of power um, in, that, in that forward pack. And that means... Um, that and that, that that's why you're on the front foot. So like, even though you know we're all we all remember the passing, the decoy lines, and getting the ball to wit, there was times when we actually needed to go at the All Blacks. Um, and if you get knocked back on those carries, um, well then you're not going to be able to get to wit on the on the on the phase or the, or the the phase after that because they're in the ascendancy and and you're retreating. So Keller is just one of this modern bunch of of players that we now seem to have who are able to ride contact and get that extra metre and a half, which is very difficult in test games. Um, it's very difficult at the highest level. And um, and that's and the higher level you go, uh, the more having power is a, is a, is a, uh, has a relevance on, on, on success. So we now have it. Keller looks, he looks, you know, so good. I mean, you know, some of us, you might remember that try he got against Glasgow where he showed, you know, real pace down the the right hand side and, and and sidestep, but you know that didn't happen the weekend. But yet he gave us you know go forward, you know a, a couple of inches here, a couple of meters there, um, which made it so easy to to stay on top of the All Blacks and not let them recover. And that's that's the big thing. They're looking to slow one rook down, they're looking to make one dominant hit, and then your mindset changes and you stop thinking about attacking. You start thinking about you know territory and where can I kick and then that's that's where they get possession so um I think that's the big difference in this Irish pack along with Gibson Park so you've got a you got a perfect kind of storm in that you've got a nine who who can get in and, uh, and away quickly and he's quite good at fixing defenders and putting forwards into little half gaps and then you have the power of Porter Kelleher Furlong um Doris Conan Van der Fleer as, as Donald said on Monday night has become a very good ball carrier. Um, he gets your gain lines as well, even though that wouldn't have been, you know, it was certainly isn't much to think about him when you see his physical stature, but his timing onto the ball, his leg drive, and then, you know, James Ryan um, is benefiting from not having to run up brick walls now, and he's getting you over the gain line as well. And obviously Henderson and, and Byrne um, are the two locks we've seen in the, in, in, over the two games. And both, them are, both of them are, are good ball carriers. So it's a... Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think I've seen an Irish pack um, with that kind of power across the board, um, and that's that's so pleasing, and um, it, it gives you confidence. You know, James Ryan is someone first mentioned there, Donald. Like he was absolutely brilliant on Saturday as well, and you know, like if you look at of the four second rows himself, Henderson and like Brody Redlick and Sam Whitelock, two absolute greats of the game. Like James Ryan was the head and shoulders the standout lock in that match yeah I think he was I mean his his work rate was incredible I think it was his best performance in well over a year uh, you know it was, it was a difficult season for him last year I mean I've no doubt he was touted by by everybody both here and in the UK uh, as an almost certainty for the Lions I mean at one stage he, he, you know over a year and a half ago it was himself and Atosha were the test second row and you know the rest the rest of the positions were up for grabs. So uh, he's still a young man and uh, he's come a long way in a very short space of time. If you go back to when he broke into the professional setup, he went 
a record number of games before losing with anyone. He won a Heineken Cup with Leinster. He won a Grand Slam with Ireland. I mean, it was, it was incredible stuff. So I suppose it was inevitable that he was going to hit a, a bollard some way along the way. Uh, unfortunately for him, I think he got injured at the wrong time, uh, came back. That La Rochelle game, the, the quarterfinal in Europe last year, was a very costly one for him. Uh, I think it was just a bit unlucky that you know, he, he met a behemoth in Will Skelton that day, uh, kind of, I think, put a seed of doubt in Warren Gatlin's mind and also a sort of a, an image maybe of what the Lions would run up against in South Africa because obviously you're talking about bulk, sheer bulk, sheer physical power. Uh, and that proved, like, in some ways, and it might seem stupid to say, had James Ryan been injured for that game, he may well, he, I think he would have got on the Lions tour. And often, you know, it comes down to something silly like that. So I admire the way it must have been even more gut-wrenching for him when, if you remember, Alan, when Jones got injured in the warm-up game against Japan in Murrayfield and Adam Baird gets called out. Now, Adam Baird, in fairness, did well on the tour, but uh, he's not as impactful a player as James Ryan, in my opinion. So that must have been an even greater kick in the teeth to him. So look, what can you do? You're at home, you're left behind, you've got to make the best of it. I think he's bulked up another bit, to be fair to him. Uh, but I agree. I thought, um, given the quality of the opposition that he was up against, last Saturday was an outstanding performance. There's every chance now with Johnny Sexton ruled out that he'll be named as captain of Ireland for the game against Argentina. So his stock is beginning to rise again. Uh, the unfortunate thing is, it's another three and a half years to Alliance Tour, and you never know in, uh, where he is then. You just might get injured at the wrong time. Lions tours are funny in that way. You can look at Jack Conan, was out injured for 18 months, got a break against England, had a fabulous game, gets picked on the tour. Maybe as the third number eight, he ends up playing all three tests. That is the way Lions tours happen. But uh, I have to say, I admire the way Ryan has parked the disappointment and has kicked on from there. You mentioned Argentina this weekend, and it's probably a, a nice time to shift our attention towards that. Birch, for those who haven't really seen too much of Argentina over the last year or so, what what do we know about them? Like the, the bare facts are they lost every game in the rugby championship. They were beaten by France two weeks ago in what was a very, very good game and a very close game. And they got their win to break that duck at the weekend against Italy. But I suppose outside of the, the results and the bare facts, what, what what do we know about them? What way are they playing? Well, yeah, look, obviously they're on a, they're on a, uh, their losing ratio is, is very high, but we have to understand that they, they don't get any easy fixtures. Um, you know, they don't get to play um, teams that can help you build that confidence. Bar, bar Italy, obviously, la- last weekend. So playing Australia, New Zealand, South Africa uh, and France. And they didn't um, have a home I, game at all in that block either, no, obviously. No home game, always away. Um, com- complete chaos in terms of their their structure, in terms of, you know, a lot of players had moved home um, to play in, in, in Super Rugby for the Jaguars. And now they're all out there scrambling for... Uh, for contracts. So there's a guy, um, uh, there's a guy I coach in Grenoble, uh, Joaquim Tukule. He was a very good fullback. You know, he's retired from international rugby um, to, to play in the MLR just because they want some stability in the MLR club. Um, you know, wouldn't have signed him if he was going to be gone for, for a long period. So, and that's the, that's the issue for them. Uh, it's back to where it was years ago where they're all, looking, a lot, the majority of them looked to go into France. Um, but again, 
and this this is obviously uh, anecdotal, but uh, but the French clubs aren't enamoured when they want to go, um, you know, for long periods to play a rugby championship. So you're going to see a constant struggle between the choice they're going to have to make in terms of, you know, providing for their families, having a a regular income, or being able to play for Argentina. So they definitely are in a state of flux. Um, you know, are they a good team? Absolutely, they've got great players and and. Um, they're well capable of of giving us a very competitive match, but I think this is one that, okay, you know, the game itself is is important for for Ireland, it's important for Argentina, but I think there's serious question marks around how we can keep Argentina at the top table. And when you think about how there's so much thought about how do we get Japan from being a, a tier two to a tier one? Can we make Georgia? You know, what can we do with Uruguay, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? We, you know. Argentina had done a lot of the groundwork themselves to to break that barrier and become, you know, a, a, a tier one country in a, in a sustainable way. And obviously the competition structure of, of having a team in Super Rugby and, and Rugby Championship, you know, was a reward for that. But I think if we don't find the right solution for them, um, they could suddenly become the Italy of the Rugby Championship and, you know, not, not work their place in that long term. And then, you know, what do you do with them? So it's it's probably one of the ones the World Rugby are going to have to look at because I, I feel sorry for them at the moment. It's it's very, it's incredibly complicated. Um, and, you know, they'll come here and they'll, they'll put in a good performance and they could win. You know, we're waiting to see the Irish team, but uh, long, medium to long term, they're, they're, I suppose, their place in the game isn't as secure as you would like. In the short term, yeah. or Donald, go ahead, yeah. No, I think he's, yeah, Birch is absolutely right there. I mean, Argentina, you know, we know to our cost over the years when they, they beat us in the, the World Cups in 99 and 2007 in France, 2003 in uh, Australia. They had a, a drop goal that sailed just beyond the post. They could have beaten us three World Cups in a row. And they fought, I think, that drive and that kind of naked ambition to get involved in the top tier of rugby drove them during that period. Um, the fact that all their players were scattered all over the world actually helped to unite them. They were like an old-fashioned amateur group coming together. I remember the day they, they beat Ireland in the, the Parc de France in the 2007 World Cup. And I remember going out after that game, an hour after the game, and all the Argentine players were around their bus. All their fans were there. They were all singing in unison, jumping up and down, handing out their gear to the fans. So they have this connection. Um you know, they got involved in, in, in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, but it, was, it became unsustainable because of the travel involved. And, uh, you know, you talk about travel at the moment. They played South Africa the week after the third test in the Lions. Now, uh, just thinking, I, I was there. Uh, the third test in the Lions was the 7th of August. Mm. So they had to be in South Africa a minimum of two to three weeks prior to that because of the COVID regulations. So that puts you in the middle of July. They then had a brief, uh, they went from there straight to Australia, where they had to cocoon for another four weeks and play in that. I think they've had one brief period where they've been back in Europe. Obviously, a lot of the Argentine players are now playing in France. But apart from that pocket of maybe two weeks, they've been on the road since the middle of July. And it can't be great when you're, you know, they lost all their games as, a, a, you know, in the rugby championship. Uh, but you can see there's a bit of a, there's a steely kind of uh, stubbornness still there. Um, it has been a difficult time, but bear in mind, it's only two years ago since this same group of Argentinian players beat New Zealand for the very first time. 
Um, so they are dangerous. They still, I mean, I look at, I, I watched their game against Italy now. It was a poor game. At least it helped them to break their duck. They'd lost seven in a row prior to that. You could just see the, the sort of sheer relief out of them. And I think by virtue of the fact that uh, next Sunday is the end of the road, the fact that they'll sort of scatter to the four winds, a lot of them looking for contracts with, with other clubs, that will bring them together for one last hurrah, if you like. I looked at their forwards, Pablo Matera, Facundo Iso, Kramer, second row or back row, Lavanini, Montoya. All these guys are still there. So they will be strong. They will be powerful. They seem to have lacked a bit of a attacking edge that they had developed by playing in the rugby championship. And I think Graham Henry had been a, a sort of um, um, a, an advisor to them there for a while. And they had a, they developed their attacking play. Unfortunately, I think they've taken a, a step or two back there. But they're still, I tell you, they're a, they're an awkward crowd to play against. They're gritty. They're in your face. They're they're uh, narky. So um, it's not going to be straightforward from an Irish perspective. And, you know, if Andy Farrell makes a few changes, which I think he will, um, you know, a lot of the younger guys are going to be tested in this game. Yeah, and let's talk changes then. Who do, I suppose, who do we want to see come in? What way do we want the team to look? And I suppose more realistically, what way do we think it will look? Because I've seen from a couple of different predicted teams, I've seen anything between probably about three and four and 10 and 11 changes. So it could go absolutely either way here. We won't know. I think a team announcement isn't going to be until Friday, obviously because it's a Sunday game, but Birch, if you're looking through the guys who haven't got a run and probably need to get a bit of a run, who do you want to see coming in on, on the weekend? Yeah. Well, look, first of all, I think there's a big focus on, on appreciating the squad. You know, you listen to anything Johnny Sexton, says you know he's trying to it's it's we not me and i think faz will be very aware of of how important it is to keep those non-first choice involved particularly now he has a freebie because of obviously the all blacks win so i do expect some change but also i think he wants to get, to give those guys the opportunity to 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 show what they can do you need some cohesion as well you know you need mm-hmm. some consistency but in terms of bodies you know um i would love to see, see sheen get some more game time. So maybe that's off the bench because you want to be loyal to, to Herring. Uh, Herring will give you a you know, good set piece. Um, I'm not sure whether, uh, I think, look, we need to see uh, Finley Bealham play more. Um, and that would be the concern. We know what Church can do. So um, Porter's still, it's crazy, but he's still learning, relearning his trade as a loose head. So I don't mind if uh, Porter goes again to mm. start and that gives you, you know, uh, some consistency there with, with Healy to come on. Uh, maybe we look at a tool um, and beal him and give furlong the uh, the weekend off um you know second rows uh Tom Ahern is in there as a development player is this the opportunity to have him on the bench you know and and cap him or is that I think I, I I think I think Ahern and it was Osborne I think they actually went back to they the provinces they went back to the part they were only there for the first week uh, I yeah but it's easy to bring them back I mean, that, but I think if, if you want now that we the all backs it's not a big deal to bring it back in Jack Hardy joined the group um, at, at the weekend, so you can still bring players in and out. Um, and then I, uh, yeah, I think I think you know Gibson Park weekend off. You know Murray and Casey, um, Carberry Byrne, Johnny's out. I'd like to see Zebo um, get a run. I'm sorry, and Gavin Coombs. You know Gavin Coombs for me starts starts the match. So they're the there's some of the changes that that I'd be I'd be looking at uh, to be honest. Without going totally kamikaze and, and losing the chance for those lads to have you know, uh, the stability in the team to, to be able to show what they can do. 
Don do you think Kieran yeah, Frawley, Frawley make a debut this weekend? Uh, he's a player I'd love to see getting involved, but um, you know it's all about trying to retain uh, you know at, at the core elements of the team. Uh, I think you have to make changes, but you've got to give the the guys who are coming in the opportunity to have that core element in and around them. Uh, for that reason, I wouldn't be making wholesale changes. Um, yeah, I would definitely. I, I'd like to see Ryan Baird get a, a run at some stage, be it off the bench or start. Uh, Coombs has to start. I think Zebo is an interesting one, um, given that he's been out of the setup for about four or five years now. Uh, we know Hugo Keenan is nailed on at fullback, but who is the reserve to him? He gets injured the week before a game. You're in a tournament. Who is the backup there? Um, I, I, like, there's no standout candidate to, to cover that at the moment. Jordan Lammer was tried there in the past. I think that experiment is over. They kind of look at him now as a winger. Um, so I think, um, you know, with, with, with Keenan having played 15 games in a row, this might be the one that you put Zebo in. Definitely play Coombs. Uh, again, like Birch, I, I think this Dan Sheehan guy is a phenomenal player. Uh, the rivalry between Kelleher and Sheehan over the next number of years is going to be incredible. But what we have now is two dynamic hookers. Um, like, like all hookers, the basics are the key element at the start. And, you know, there was a little shadow around Ronan Kelleher's throwing. But he's no different to any young hooker who have come through uh, the Irish setup over the years, going back to the Keith Woods of this world, who went through that kind of learning process. Um, and to be fair to Kelleher, having a, a, an overthrow on the first line out on Saturday, he recovered really well from that. Um, but Sheehan is one, I think, definitely for the future. If you're looking at the next World Cup, and I accept Harry, you're, you're going to bring three hookers. Herring is the steady Eddie, the guy that you need if your set piece just needs to, to function properly. But the other two offer so much more that I think Sheehan has to get a bit of time. I'd like to see... Uh, Craig Casey get a, a an opportunity as well. Um, so look, it's it's going to be fascinating from that point of view. All the guys who were in the match day twenty three will know a standard has been set now in the last two games. This is a chance you you finish this this window, this November window. You they've obviously made a positive impression in terms of being in camp. The coaches have had a huge opportunity of spending time with them on one on one. This is the final part of the jigsaw. Everything you've done up to now is geared towards your game time on the field. So if they can finish positively, you're then, you're leaving camp. You're not back in again until pre-Six Nations. And then that's exactly what you want. A fighting Irish squad, 35 fellas, all kind of putting pressure on each other for that starting position. I think we play Wales in the first game in Dublin. And... Uh, you know, that's why Sunday is important to sign off what has been achieved over the past three weeks at a positive. And the last point, Birch, on, on the men's game, somehow someone we didn't mention and throughout all those players, Joey Carberry, we're assuming is probably going to start at out half this weekend with Johnny Sexton out. Has everything kind of fallen together nicely for, for Carberry coming into this game where, you know, there's no danger you're going to have Johnny Sexton sitting on the subs bench looking on if things aren't going great. They've had two good wins now, so there isn't really as much pressure on them. And it's just kind of, it's against a decent standard opposition as well for Joey Carberry to, to get a start against. Yeah, no, no, look, I think it's ideal. I think it was brilliant. He, he got on against the All Blacks and, and had three kicks, to, uh, which he nailed, um, to just settle him down. And I, and I think, you know, he, he would benefit from the the increased 
organization that Ireland are playing with. Um, so effectively, you know, and this is something, and it's a bit of a criticism of Munster, but when Munster have played so far this season, they haven't had the same options around the 10, uh, him, um, that Ireland had for Johnny Sexton. Now, you'd like to hope that's not all down to Johnny and that, that, that this is... This is exactly what they're doing in training, and everyone knows their role. And and Joey, Joey's a very instinctive player. So if he's at the back of a pot of three off nine, you know, and 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 he calls the pass at the back, he has the footwork and pace to to, to open up opportunities for himself if there's a dog leg. So um, I think it's an ideal scenario for him now to come in, having had a had a little you know taste of it at the weekend, which he did well. Um, but again, the most important thing is he's he's going to be playing with an Irish team who have. Um, seem to have more clarity in terms of how they're trying to play, but also have more powerful athletes who can hopefully get them on the front foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quickly, guys, verdict for this weekend? Oh, I think Ireland, um, Ireland 25, Argentina 18. And Donald? Yeah, I'd go for an Ireland win. I think it will be close. Um, uh, as I say, you, you really can't, focus in on that until you see the exact team that's going to take the field. I think Argentina will put it up to us, but they look completely gassed, to be honest with you, out in their feet. They've had a long time, so if you can keep that pressure going, then, you know, I would expect an Irish victory. Great stuff, and that game will be live on RT2. Donald, you're on with on with Hugh this Sunday afternoon, aren't you? Uh, I think it's Des Kern, actually. Des and myself, oh. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very good, very um, good. So also Saturday then as well, we have uh, Ireland against Japan and in the in the women's game. And Birch, surprising news yesterday, Kira Griffin, Ireland captain, and she's going to be retiring after that game. It's going to be her 41st cap after making her debut in 2016. She's been the captain since 2018. Um, but I suppose the thing that jumped off the page really in the, the retirement statement is it's, it's retirement for the Irish captain at the age of 27, which just... It just seems a bit bizarre, doesn't it? Yeah, it was a big shock. Um, she's been an incredible leader for Ireland. Um, and, you know, I think uh, everybody was surprised. Uh, um, and, and look, you can see the outpouring of admiration for her. At 27 is very young, but she says that she wants, you know, it's a family decision. So she's completely entitled to, to make that decision. And it must be very tough for her over the last, uh, year in particular with all the, the negative PR and the tough results, etc. And, and she's someone who, you know, well, from what you can, I know about her. She she seems to carry that weight of on her own shoulders. You know, she she wants to take ownership and responsibility for it. So it's very tough. But um, look at she she's got one more game, and and, and hopefully there's a good crowd there to um to give her a good send off. And you know, we believe Lindsay Pete um is retiring as well. She got um a great send off last last Friday night. So um, but yeah, it is. It's gonna be a she's gonna be a hard person to to replace both in terms of her play but also in terms of her leadership yeah Donald it was a big surprise wasn't it yeah it certainly was look I, I, I've met here on a number of occasions in, in, in rugby functions and that and uh, you know just her enthusiasm is infectious I mean just being around her um, you know you, you you feel yeah if she was my captain I could play for her I mean she just has that little bit of an aura about her and uh, um, you can see the events of the last 12 months have, have affected her big time Um you know, I remember that the, the final whistle, the scenes when they lost to Scotland in uh, in Parma, failed to qualify for the World Cup. Uh, it was almost as if she took all that burden on herself, and that does wear you down. Uh, I mean, it's nobody wants to see you. You you play sport for the pleasure, for the good days, and uh, 
We've seen too many photographs of, of the Irish women in tears at the end of the games for the wrong reasons. And uh, no, a couple of them were in tears after winning last weekend, I think, for the right reasons, but also as a consequence of the, the horror show that was involved in the build-up to the game. I mean, uh, the women's game seems to be all over the place at the moment. We're waiting for these two reviews to come out. Um, I, you know, I, we've, I don't think the RFU have covered themselves in glory over the past couple of weeks and months around this whole area. So um, I, I just think it's horrible that, and I know she has denied that it's the events of the last two weeks, that there were other contributory factors. But there's no question that the events of the past couple of weeks have to have influenced her decision. And I would hate to think at 27 years of age, she's lost to the game for for the wrong reasons. But look, uh, she's been a fantastic servant. Uh, I've listened to her in terms of, you know, she'd be there if any of the younger players want to talk to her and that. And that to me shows, look, this is obviously a very difficult decision that she's been torn by this. Um, and look, maybe a period away from the game might be good for her. And uh, who knows, in a year's time, she might decide to play again. So look, but I think we have to recognise she's been an outstanding player and captain. And I just hope that um, she does retire. But she said on, on the weekend that she finishes on a positive against Japan this weekend. Or should be the are there standout candidates, potential captaincy candidates in the in that team? Well, you would think of uh, the hooker, Kleena Maloney, um, after after her. Should be a popular popular week. choice among the squad, anyway. I'd popular choice among the squad. She's not afraid to to stand up for herself. Um, look at it. It's hard when the team are, are struggling a little bit to to see, you know, who who would who would stand up. But look, I think Greg McWilliams coming in. Um, he he's gonna put his own stamp on things in terms of coaching. Um, I know he's going to be highly involved in the AIL in terms of being present at games, which hasn't happened, which is crazy, but look, at that's, an, that's another discussion. Um, and, I, I, you know, I think it'll be up to him to to try and see, you know, what what other leaders are there and who can he start to build a team around. Um, and that's something he's very good at. He, he's very inclusive and, and I doubt it'll be one, 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 one person. It'll be a, a leadership group as such. So um, that's the only positive is that, you know, he, he's coming in and maybe, maybe he can, he can, he'll put his, well, not positive, maybe it'll be a free one for him to decide, you know, who the best captain is. Yeah, and that game this Saturday, so Kira Griffin's final game for Ireland is going to be this Saturday, playing against Japan. It's at the RDS. It's going to be live on RT2 as well. So we've got Rugby Saturday and Sunday this weekend on RT2, Ireland against Japan on Saturday, Ireland against Argentina on Sunday. And that is about all we have time for this afternoon on the RT Rugby Podcast. Thanks as usual to Donal Lennon and to Bernard Jackman. And we'll be back again next week. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.